Welcome to the Dead Celebrities Podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenick. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the latest episode of WealthManagement.com's Dead Celebrity Podcast. For anyone new to the podcast, in each installment, myself and a guest take on a different celebrity estate and attempt to extract some key lessons that planners can apply to their more traditional clients. The idea being that celebrity estate planning catastrophes, although often ridiculous in their details, generally have at their core very basic issues that can just as easily apply to non-famous or fabulously wealthy clients. Uh, joining me today is Sonia Mugal. Sonia is COO of Baylord, an independent boutique wealth and asset management firm in the Bay Area with nearly $4 billion in assets under management. They're celebrating their 50th anniversary this year and just announced the launch of the Baylor Foundation, which will align the firm's giving with its strongly held values of courage, fairness, and accountability, among others. Sonia's been in the business for 25 years and has risen to the top of Baylor's management. She has a unique perspective on a lot of the hottest issues facing REAs and clients today. Thanks so much for joining us, Sonia. Thank you for having me. So the subject of today's episode is Los Angeles Lakers owner and NBA Hall of Famer, Dr. Jerry Buss. Dr. Buss, the doctor derives from his PhD in chemistry, was already known as somewhat of a flamboyant, wealthy, man-about-town playboy when he purchased the NBA's Lakers, the NHL's Kings, and the LA Forum in one $67.5 million package in 1979 from previous owner Jack Kent Cook, who may show up on a future episode. Buss had made the bulk of his fortune in real estate, but he also dabbled in Hollywood, producing the 1974 black exploitation film Black Eye, starring Fred Williamson, which is apropos of nothing, but Fred Williamson is my hero, so I thought that was cool. Listeners who are fans of the NBA will likely have already noticed that although the 70s were a low point for the league, marred by drug abuse and the public perception that it was quote-unquote too black for a mainstream audience, 1979 marked the rookie seasons of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, whose personalities and rivalry are credited with basically saving the league. Unsurprisingly, Buss had enormous success as Lakers owner, winning 10 titles and employing a host of Hall of Fame players. When Buss passed from cancer in February of 2013, the Lakers franchise alone was valued at roughly a billion dollars. So nice little return on investment there for him. Uh, it's now valued at about $3.5 billion as franchise values have exploded. Um, Buss had six children from two different women at his death, and they all worked for the Lakers in some capacity or another. Buss's 66% controlling ownership of the Lakers passed to his six children via a trust with each child receiving an equal vote, so 11% for each child. Prior to his death, Dr. Buss established a business succession plan naming his daughter Jeannie Buss as his desired controlling owner and president of the Lakers. Her brother, Jim Buss, took control of the on-court operations as executive vice president of basketball operations. However, in February 2017, after a rare extended period of poor performance for a franchise accustomed to basically constantly winning, uh, Jeannie fired her brother, Jim, and replaced him with Magic Johnson making a triumphant return. Uh, unfortunately, this kicked off quite a fight, and Jim did not go quietly 
Um, shortly after his firing, Jim and his brother Johnny Bus made a coup to take control of the team by proposing Jeannie's removal from the Lakers Board of Directors at the team's annual shareholder meeting. While the trusts through which the Bus children owned the Lakers required Jimmy and Johnny as co-trustees along with Jeannie to support Jeannie as controlling owner, the Lakers' corporate bylaws also included a provision that requires that the controlling owner serve as a member of the team's board of directors. So if Jeannie was removed from the board, she would thus no longer be able to manage the team as the controlling owner. So it's a little bit of a loophole. Uh, Jeannie responded by filing a temporary restraining order against her brothers and alleged that they breached their fiduciary duty under the trust by failing to support her as the controlling owner. Uh, facing down the prospect of extended litigation, Jim and Johnny entered into a consent agreement that waived the annual shareholder meeting and elected Jeannie to the board, maintaining her as the controlling owner, at least for now. So, Sonia, the Bus family story offers an example of a succession process that's been pretty rocky, even though there was already a fairly comprehensive plan in place. So why is having such a plan so important? That was quite a story. <laughs> um, thank you for that. Um, I would say, number one, succession is a very difficult and a very time-consuming process um, to think through. And it needs to be thought through in a very, very calm, careful way. It should not be done quickly. You pointed out a loophole. Um, those are exactly the sorts of things that folks need to think about. I would also like to say you you added when you started out that this is not only for celebrities and the super ultra high net worth uh, wealthy individuals. It's also for all of us to think about. Yeah, I mean, the bus example is definitely more on the side of like the TV show Succession, which anyone who likes the podcast, if you're not already watching, you probably should be. Um, but succession planning can be for you know, even smaller businesses or even for just to pass on family values. It doesn't necessarily have to be because you have a billion dollar business to pass on. That's right. And I think uh, whether it's for businesses or even just families to pass on their wealth, there are a lot of similarities in terms of the thought that has to go into it. And I can't stress that enough. It is a very time-consuming process, but it has to be done in a very thoughtful way in order to... You can never guarantee success, but I think you can certainly improve your chances of success if you really think through all of the various things that can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, when you say thinking about it, I, th I think it's important to you know, explain what you actually mean here because I think deep down every business owner or family business, whoever runs it, knows that they're going to have to pass it on. And that, that, like, they have that basic knowledge, but they, so they've quote-unquote thought about it, but, but they haven't actually thought about how involved the process is, how difficult it is. What, what all the pitfalls are. And it's especially true um, if you're dealing with a wealth creator, sort of a first-generation wealthy person whose entire life has been dedicated perhaps to, to building this wealth. It's theirs in a, in a very real way. And uh, so the idea of passing it on at all is difficult to broach, let alone doing it, you know, really getting into the nitty-gritty of how that's going to happen. That is absolutely true. And in our business, we call it the founder mentality. Um, I think that exists. It's a very real thing. And when I use the word thought, I I think there's a ton of emotion behind this. That is something that everybody has to deal with. You can deal with the technicalities. You can think about who your management team is, who your successor management team should be. 
Um, but you really also have to be very, very honest and real with yourself about the fact that you might be leaving a business uh, to the next generation and what level of trust do you have in the next generation and what your vision is and what their vision might be for the future. Yeah, so these are obviously sort of very weighty conversations um, that most clients aren't going to naturally come to on their own. So as an advisor, if I see that I have a client who's maybe, you know, has a family business that at a certain point is going to need succession planning, how do I kickstart this conversation? How do I, you know, how do I make the first entree into getting them to think about this? That's a great question. And I think it really depends on the relationship that you have with this individual client. But I would say you started off by broaching it gently. Um, it, it has to be talked about. Some people are more open to succession discussions than others are. Some people are more ready than others are. And so, you know, the know your client part of it really, really matters. Um, but for those that that may not be ready, I think starting the conversation in advance of when you think this might be happening is is critical. And also offering to the client that you would be by their side, sort of guiding them through this is critical because they probably trust you. You're managing their wealth anyway. Um, and having that quarterback that you trust is, is I, I think, step one. Yep. And in a very real way, the, the trusted advisor can act as the bridge that reassures the client, right? Between, because ultimately, like you're, although you advise the business, whoever the, is in control of the business, you are their advisor, for better or for worse. And with you staying on, hopefully, to be and to guide the next generation, it can really reassure a client that, okay, well, at least someone who worked with me, who knows exactly what I like, who I handpicked, is still going to be in some position of influence to try to keep things on the straight and narrow. That's exactly right. And I think having a team approach as well at our firm, what we do is we try not to have just one advisor uh, dealing with one client, um, you know, particularly for succession, even on our side, and for the continuity of the relationship, it's very important for the client to know that there's a team. Um, and I think that helps because you can have different levels of expertise um, that come to bear, particularly in discussions like this. And these discussions really, it's a, they're difficult from two angles, right? Like we already talked about a little bit, um, just this idea of giving up control um, and that's a very real fear and very difficult for sort of self-motivated people in particular. But also this is tied in with estate planning. And so now we're also dealing with facing mortality and the fear of death. And those are wholly different subjects and perhaps even scarier for many people to, to talk about. So how do we, we reckon with these two? You know, we're kind of hitting them from both sides with two very complicated asks. You know, I think in life, even though we know that, you know, we say there are two things that are certain, right? Death and taxes. It's one of those things that is, it is very difficult to deal with. None of us has a future, um, a crystal ball that can look into the future. And I think a lot of what comes out of giving up control and trying to think about how things are going to be when you're gone is that you really want everything to be smooth. I mean, that's, I think, the ultimate. You, you don't want uh, wealth destruction to happen after you've created a legacy and, and you know, a business. You want it to thrive into the future. You want it to grow. Um, but you don't know how the personalities are necessarily going to work together. Um, so it is a very, very difficult thing. But I think hopefully people have given themselves a lot of leeway and a lot of runway 
uh, to think about things like this. I, I can't stress enough that you cannot do this overnight. So once we've you know made successfully completed the, the magic trick of getting our client to actually begin the process here, um, I think there's two very important concepts that a lot of clients and honestly a lot of advisors uh, don't fully appreciate uh, the importance of, and those are, are the difference between ownership and governance. And those two things are, especially with, with larger businesses, but even when you're looking to pass on family values, are very important and often confused. So would you mind sort of expanding on, on those two concepts a little bit? Absolutely. And I think when you are an owner, but you're not in the position of governing, that's where a lot of the friction uh, can actually come into play. And that's where you have to have a tremendous amount of trust in the next generation, in the generation that's going to take things over. The governance aspect obviously is that you want to make sure that things are being run smoothly. Um, you know, the right decisions are being made. Uh, the, the second generation has the strategic vision that hopefully is in line with yours, but if it's not, that's okay. Um, it's not going to destroy value because you, at the end of the day, are still the owner. Yeah, and just to, you know, to, to call back to our initial example of the bus family, to sort of, you can see this illustrated in that although Jeannie and Jim and all the children were 11%, they're equal owners of the franchise, Jeannie was the boss. So she, although her and Jim had equal ownership stakes, she had the power to fire Jim. And that's where you can and run into these things where I don't, maybe Jim didn't quite realize that, or maybe that's not how he expected that. Oh, we're running this thing, all six of us equally. When someone, you know, that, and then you can run into really seeing the difference between ownership and governance and how that interacts in a very real way. That's right. That's right. And I think it's critical for all of the parties in the second generation to understand that as well. Uh, you might be even a larger owner, but if you're not the boss, that does matter. And mentioning the second generation here, you know, we've at this far kind of focused on the initial uh, business owner, the, the person who's, you know, giving his control away. But having conversations with who's getting the control and, and who's receiving, uh, you know, the, the succession effectively is equally important. And, you know, they need to be prepared as well. That could not be further from the truth. Um, and I think in order to, to every, every leader is different. Um, every leader has a different leadership style. I think when you are passing on to a second generation, you certainly want to recognize that there are players on a team. It's not a star system. It shouldn't be. You have to name somebody, but that person also has to recognize everything that the others are bringing to them. And I think having a more collaborative, collegial style of leadership um, is, is, at least in my opinion, a way to somewhat ensure success. Okay, so let's get into the nitty-gritty a little bit of what a succession plan actually looks like. Um, if you have a client walk in, and what's the first thing you're looking for? What, what if you document or vehicle or anything that if you see it and it's not there, now all of a sudden alarm bells are going off in your head? Well, let's talk about it in two different ways. I mean, if it's a family, um, you know, and it's somebody that is just looking to get their financial house in order, what you're looking for simply is an estate plan. Um, that is an extremely important document. That's one of the things we ask almost immediately when we start speaking with prospective clients, do you have an estate plan? So that sort of succession on, on that family front of things. On the, on the business side of things, it's not necessarily a document. Um, if, it's a, if, if it is a, if a privately held independent company, it could be something like a buy-sell. 
you really want to look at that. But I think before you start to get in any documents, frankly, you really have to make sure that the person's ready to have that discussion. And what are some signs? I mean, how do you get them ready? I guess, how do you tell if they're ready or not? I mean, you have to make them ready at some point, right? That's right. Um, I I think a lot of it depends on what the person wants. Do they want to really continue and have this business that they've built thrive and, and, you know, last long into the future once they're gone so that there's a certain level of pride that they have actually in what they built because they will always be remembered as the founder of, of that organization or do they just say, you know, we, we just want to cash out. So I think getting to what is their vision for the future is actually very, very important. Some people don't really need a succession plan if they're thinking that, you know, they just want to sell the business that they've, that they've created. And yeah, I guess that brings to my next question of what if, you know, we're dealing in the bus situation and, and we're talking as if um, the kids are actually interested in continuing the business and, and they're on the same page as, as their parents in terms of taking it over. Um, what if the kids aren't interested? Obviously, selling is one, is one option, but what if the owner doesn't want to sell and the kids don't want it? What, what are some of the options then? Well, I think in that situation, you go out then and you're looking for the expertise that you obviously don't have in-house, uh, so to speak, because of lack of interest or maybe lack of skill uh, that is required. I, I will say one thing about succession is you've got to make sure that the next generation has the requisite skills mm-hmm. and cares about the company or the business just as much as you did. Um, with, the, with, with the caveat that they're never going to be the founder, but they have to have that same founder mentality and that same sense of ownership about taking it to the next level. Mm-hmm. This is a funny one actually where, where maybe... The Godfather is a good uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of example here, where you sort of uh, you've got Michael and, and Sonny and Fredo, and um, you know the, the original heir apparent, Sonny, who's been in the business for so long, maybe didn't have the best temperament, and then there's one son who's been in the business but isn't the brightest, and then all of a sudden, oh, it's the unexpected one who we never really thought about, who's you know tragically, in the case of that movie, the one who ends up being the most suited to running the family. Um, it's kind of a weird analogy, but but I think it's it's kind of apt here. That's right. That's absolutely right. And you use the word temperament. I think that is a critical. I I said they have to be skilled and they have to have the requisite skills. I think that's definitely true, but they have to have the temperament to be able to take it into the next level. Well, Sonia, we're we're just about out of time. This has really been fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. I'm going to put you on the spot here. If if Obviously, this is a vastly complicated topic um, that we couldn't cover even one percent of it in the 20 minutes that we just had but um if there was sort of one piece of advice that you could offer to advisors on, on the topic of succession planning basically any aspect of it that's one most important thing you can think of that, that you wish advisors knew what would that be i think the most important i would say is know your client that is seriously the most critical way to start having a conversation that could end in a successful outcome well, i'd like to thank our guest sonia Mugel, for uh, really being awesome And uh, that's all the time we have, folks. So uh, I'll see you, or I guess you'll hear me on the next episode of the Dead Celebrity Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dead Celebrity Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available. 
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.